Amen. Hey, let's clap for that. Come on. It is appropriate, it is appropriate for us to, um, to clap when we hear something good that praises the Lord. Um, hey, if you are a part of our SBC Kids, our Kids uh, Church, you can be dismissed right now. That is ages uh, up through fifth grade. You can go to the back. We've got some leaders back there we'll, that will take you um, to Children's Church. Parents, here in a few moments after we finish the sermon, uh, our kids are going to come back in here for our, uh, our time of observing the Lord's Supper together. Okay, so they'll be back in a few moments. This past Tuesday, uh, Marywood Christian Camp had their annual golf fundraiser. And uh, we, we've, we've been praying, you know, that, that I would go, that would go well, that, um, that, the, that we would be blessed with the amount of proceeds that came in from that. And folks, um, I have been thrilled this week. I'm just praising the Lord because over $33,000 came in from Marywood this past week. So let's, let's celebrate that together. In the past, um, I think the highest we've ever brought in is right at 26000 somewhere in there, Terry? Yeah. So that's, a, that's an incredible thing, and that's, um, that's money that's going to go towards uh, assisting with scholarships for kids to come to camp and, uh, and increasing uh, the exposure and the efficiency of Marywood and spreading the gospel. Take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to begin this morning by doing a little bit of a review uh, from where we've been over the last several weeks. As many of you know, we're spending the whole year, and we're going through the book of Hebrews. In fact, today is sermon number 28 uh, this year, and uh, we're going to be done somewhere at the beginning of uh, November with the book of Hebrews. But uh, we, we've kind of set aside this month of September to work through the, um, the book or the, the chapter of chapter 11, uh, talking about faith in particular. Yeah, the first week that we were together and talking about faith, we talked about the fact that faith is the assurance of things that we cannot see. I want to take you back to a quote that I gave you by G. Campbell Morgan in which he said this, it does seem easy naturally to believe in things that we can see. Faith does not operate there at all. We do not need any faith to believe in things seen. Now, um, true faith is not found as something that's easily discernible. I used the illustration with you uh, on that day when we were working through this, um, that it doesn't take a whole lot of faith for me to stand here this morning, and if it were raining outside, it's not raining outside, it's a beautiful morning outside, but if it was raining outside, it doesn't take a whole lot of faith for me to just trust that I'm not going to be rained on. Why? Well, because I can look up and I can see this great roof above my head, and I know that I've been in this room before when the rain has come, and I know I didn't get rained on then, so why would I get rained on right now? Okay, so it doesn't take a whole lot of faith for me to believe that. But G. Kimball Morgan continues, and he says, we have all heard the old saying, seeing is believing. Is that true? No. Believing is being sure without seeing. Faith operates there in the presence of things that I E-Y-E, has not seen. Things that have not entered into the understanding of the mind, that is the realm of faith. The second week when we were together, we looked at three men whose lives were marked by faith. You got Abel. His was a primitive faith, right? Uh, he, his, he had very little in the way of knowledge, but his faith was simple. And when it came time for him to be um, obedient to what God has called him to do and to, to worship God with a pure heart, he does it. Okay, then we move on to Enoch. Enoch was a walk of faith. His whole life after he had his son, um, the Bible says that his whole life after that was a time in which he walked with God. In fact, he was so close to God and he, um, he was in such a close relationship with God that when he, um, it came time for him to go to heaven, he didn't die. God just brought him up into heaven without dying. Okay, then there was Noah. Noah was a preacher of faith. A preacher is someone who boldly proclaims something, okay? Um, most of the time, I stand up here and I boldly proclaim. Sometimes you think, I don't know what that was. But anyway, Noah was a preacher of faith. He boldly proclaimed the fact that he could trust God, that even though God said, hey, go build a boat in the middle of the land where there's no water whatsoever around, what did he do? Well, he went and he built a boat uh, right in the middle of the land where there's no water anywhere around him. Okay, he was a preacher of faith because he boldly proclaimed the faith that he had in God. Week three, um, we spent the first portion of the sermon, that was last week, um, and we kind of laid a foundation for understanding uh, this idea of, of two cities, 
right? We're either pursuing the city of earth or we are pursuing the city of heaven. We cannot be pursuing any other city because there is no other city to pursue, city of earth or city of heaven. Um, Faith is engaged and it operates when we are pursuing the city of heaven. In fact, faith cannot operate and it cannot function when we are pursuing the things of earth. Uh, That's why we, um, like the song says, that's why we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face uh, because the things of this earth need to grow strangely dim, um, and they do in the light of his glorious grace. A song, I love that song because it, it reminds us that we focus on Jesus, and as we focus on Jesus, the city of heaven and the city of earth kind of diminishes and, and in importance, and we don't need it as much anymore. Then uh, after we, we talked about that idea of two cities last week, we looked at five points in helping us understand faith. Okay, number one, there is always a call. There is always a call that comes with faith. In fact, sometimes that call is a physical call. Sometimes it's a spiritual call. Sometimes with like Abraham, um, God called him. He said, hey, you're in one land. I want you to go to another land. Other times it's a spiritual call in that, um, that God says, hey, you're in one place spiritually and I need for you to move to another place spiritually. And so you, um, I'm calling you to, to go, right? But then there's always um, a level of fear that comes with that, that call, right? We serve a very, very big God, We serve a God whose ways are much higher than our ways and whose thoughts are much greater than ours, and and he is thinking up and and doing more than we could ever imagine. And so why would we think that when a call comes that it's not going to stretch us in some way, and with that stretching comes a level of fear because it, it moves us outside of our comfort zone, right? This call, this this faith always is accompanied by fear, but then there's always reassurance that comes with it. Because God doesn't just leave us in this this place of fear. Um, He reassures us. One of the promises that I talked about last week that Jesus gave was that he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Right? He promised the Holy Spirit that would come and would indwell the believer so that as they went through life, they would not be alone here on earth, but rather they would have the very presence of God living in them and walking with them through life. There's always reassurance. But then after that, there is always a choice that has to be made, okay? You either say yes or you say no to faith. Yes, God, I'm going to do whatever it is that you want me to do and whatever it is that you're calling me to, or no, God, um, I am just not willing to be stretched the way that you are trying to stretch me in this moment. Folks, we always, always have to make a decision. Are we going to obey God in faith or are we going to run from God in fear, okay? But then lastly, it is always, always leads to a changed life. It will change your life drastically when you say yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to following him initially, it's going to change your life. As you move through life and God calls you to bump your comfort zone a little bit, it's going to drastically affect you and the people around you. Folks, that is an incredible thing because that means that you are not a part of something that you are alone in. That means that you are a part of something that's much greater than you are, and God is doing more in you than you could ever do by yourself. That is an incredible thing. Today we get to a passage of Scripture that um, honestly is a little bit difficult. Uh, It's a little bit um, disturbing in some ways. We're going to read through this, and I'm going to talk with you then about two groups of people, okay? But let's go ahead, and if you're able to do so, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read verses 32 through 40 of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Okay, let's pray real quick. Father, in these moments, would you lead and guide our time in your word? And Father, I ask that, 
um, in whatever way our faith needs to be stretched today. Father, would you do that? Father, would you call us out? Move us from where we are to where we need to be. Remind us, Father, that uh, you are God above all else and that there is none like you. Father, in these moments, would you, your Holy Spirit, um, have the opportunity to work in ways that, um, that we cannot. That, Father, I pray um, we leave this room with a greater understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with you and having come to a greater understanding of faith. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Folks, that's a, that's a heavy passage of Scripture that we just read, isn't it? I mean, think about everything that we just saw there. There's a whole lot that's there. There's a lot of just depth, and, 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 and honestly, you start thinking about those individual terms, and, and uh, boy, it can get a little bit heavy. The author of Hebrews there is talking about the group of Old Testament saints and prophets, okay? So these are strictly Old Testament here. A lot of times we think, okay, well, the, the Hebrew author has moved to New Testament. He hasn't. He's still in the Old Testament. These are people that uh, he refers to here that... When that call came, they responded with yes to God, okay? They didn't say no. They said yes to whatever it is that God had for them. The author starts off there, and he gives some names, right? You get Gideon. You got Barak. You got Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And those are people that if you were working through the, the faith devotions this past week, you would have studied those people, okay? But then he also includes and other prophets. So other people are involved in what he's talking about here, um, now, what follows this is really kind of two groups of people. All right, the first group is found in verses 33 through the middle of verse 35. Um, and we're going to look at these people. Here we go. Verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So these are people who are conquering the world, and really this kind of leads me to the first point that I want to show you, and that is that true faith is overwhelmingly triumphant. True faith is overwhelmingly triumphant. Okay, I want to, I want to read this. Look at the list that you see here on the screen, okay? Look at what these people did. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. We kind of think about Daniel there when he, when he did that, right, when, when that took place. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign enemies to flight. Women even received back their dead. Now, that is some really strong language. That is some incredible things that took place right here in the Old Testament that the author is describing. Now, do you think that there's any way that these individual people could have accomplished these things on their own? No? No? We've got some pretty great leaders in this world, people that can rally people around them. But there's a big difference between a leader who's a strong leader and a person who God is working through. And this is describing people that God is working through. In fact, I, I would say that many of these people that this is describing were by themselves so weak that there is no way that they could have done these things by themselves. It's only through the power of God that it happened. John MacArthur is writing about this passage one time, and he, he made this point. He said, the point of mentioning these words is to show that whether the need was for political victory, helping those in need, receiving promises, overwhelming natural enemies, protection from war or weakness, or winning in any way, the power to accomplish these things was from God, and the power was received by faith in Him. You see, folks, your faith is not about you. Your faith is never only about you. Your faith is about what God can do through you in advancing his kingdom and his glory. That's, all, that's, what, that's what your faith is about. How can God work in and through you to advance his kingdom and his glory? Folks, he has things that he wants to accomplish and he wants to do it through your faith. What was it that Jesus said about the amount of faith that is needed for something great to happen? Do you remember? What's the amount of faith? Mustard seed. That's right, Luke 17, 6. He says if you have a, a faith the size of mustard seed. Now, I want to do a little exercise with you here for just a moment, okay? Um, in front of you, in the pew back in front of you, there are some pencils. You see those? Okay, now we don't have enough for everybody, but I want you to take out one of those pencils. All right, go ahead and do that right now. Take out one of those pencils. 
Open up your bulletin now to the sermon notes page. Okay, sermon notes page. Um, you good, good church members, good Christians are already there, but for all of you who were not already, go ahead and turn. I'm just kidding, by the way, all right? Um, anyway, you're at the sermon notes page, okay? Now, I want you to take that pencil, and I want you to put the point of it right down on the piece of paper, okay? Don't move the mark around any, just put it straight down on the piece of paper, all right? Now, take that pencil and just kind of twist it a little bit. Not moving the mark, just twist the pencil a little bit to make a good, bold dot there, all right? All right, now, once you've done that, you can go ahead and put your pencil away so we don't lose any pencils, unless you want to use them for your sermon notes. You can do that, too, okay? But look at that dot. Look at that dot. That is roughly the size of a mustard seed. Did you know that? Mustard seed is tiny. I mean, it is, it is, it is, it is tiny. And, and if you had a good, strong, um, sharp pencil, then, then your dot is tiny. Okay, now... Jesus said this. He said, if you had faith, like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, does that mean that that mulberry bush, um, or does that mulberry bush get planted somewhere else simply because you didn't want it to be there? No. Okay, remember, we always, faith always operates for the purpose of carrying out uh, the advancement of the kingdom and the glory of God. Okay, it's never for us. It's always for the glory of God. But folks, here's a question for you. What do you think that God could do through your faith if it was just the size of that little dot that you've got on your piece of paper? What do you think God could do? Because I think he could do some pretty incredible things. Have you ever thought about your faith as overwhelmingly triumphant? I hadn't. Just be completely honest with you. In fact, if you came up to me right now and you said, hey, Pastor Kivett, how's, how's your level of faith? I'd say, ah, oh, it's okay. I'd probably mumble something like that or, or I don't know if I have a lot of faith. That's probably the response that, that many of us would have. But folks, why would that be our typical response? Why is our faith not one that is marked by an understanding that the impossible can be made possible through the power of our great God? He is the one who created us. He is the one who saved us. He's the one who continues to sustain us all throughout life. Why would he not work through us the way that he wants to according to his word? Why would he not do that? D.L. Moody was widely considered one of the greatest uh, preachers of really the last few hundred years, and he's famous for saying these words. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. But then here's how he followed up that statement, okay? He said, by God's help, I aim to be that man. In other words, I aim, my goal in life is to be wholly consecrated, wholly surrendered to God so he can do whatever he wants to in me and through me for his glory. That's how he lived his life, right? We need more people who will take on the mindset that that, that Moody had because he so longed to see God work through him in the mightiest of ways that he, in faith, gave himself to the service of Christ. True faith is overwhelmingly triumphant. Um, if there's a soundtrack that would kind of go with this, this, this first several couple verses, I can imagine it would be, we are the champions, right? We are the champions, my friends. Then you get to the middle of verse 35, through the next couple of verses, and it's completely different. I mean completely different. What we find next is nothing short of cruelty and brutality and defeat. Look at the second group of people. I'm going to start reading in verse 35, middle there. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And in this we see that true faith can be devastating. 
It can absolutely be devastating. The author of Hebrews is saying that there are some people whose their faith was, they, it brought great triumph, it brought great, great, great victory, but then there are some whose faith brought unspeakable devastation. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. Yes, we are called to have faith that is triumphant, but we are also called to have faith that may bring us and our families devastation. How many of you have ever heard of um, a man by the name of Polycarp? Raise your hand. You ever heard of Polycarp? A friend of mine was um, preaching chapel here for high school uh, this past week, and, um, and he shared the story of Polycarp and reminded me of it, and I thought it would be perfect to share with you here uh, today. It's said that when Polycarp was a young man, he was discipled by the apostle John before John was exiled to Patmos. Polycarp was a man who early in life um, made a decision to follow Christ. He stuck by it really his whole life. There's a man by the name of um, Irenaeus who wrote extensively about Polycarp, and one of the things he wrote about him was this. I could tell you the place where the blessed Polycarp sat to preach the word of God. It is yet present to my mind with what gravity he, he everywhere came in and went out. What was the sanctity of his deportment, the majesty of his countenance, and what were his holy exhortations to the people? I seem to hear him now relate how he conversed with John and many others who had seen Jesus Christ, the words he had heard from their mouths. Polycarp was a very, very early church leader, and he led the church very well. He was faithful all his life. In fact, um, much of the reason that we have the Word of God now is because he worked to sustain the Word of God all throughout his life. When Polycarp was well over 90 years old, he was arrested for preaching the gospel. He comes before the, um, the, uh, the authorities there, and, um, and they tell him, hey, you have the opportunity. If you would recant Jesus, then we will let you go. He said, well, I can't do that. Um, they said, well, then you are going to be thrown to the wild animals, um, and uh, they, will, they will kill you. And he's like, I, I'm not afraid of that. And so they said something akin to, okay, well, if you, um, if you despise the animals, we will have you burned. So reproach Christ, and we will set you free. And then Polycarp responded with these words. You may have heard this before. He said, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Polycarp was then led out to where he was to be burned at the stake. The executioner is about to nail him to the stake that is going to burn him, and all around is the brush that they would have used to start the fire. Polycarp looks at the executioner and he says, um, he says you don't have to nail me to that stake because you don't, you don't have to fear. I'm not going to run away. Um, I know where I'm headed. And so he's not nailed to the stake as is typically done. The executioner starts the fire that's going to burn Polycarp. And uh, tradition tells us, and, and eyewitnesses who were there, tell us that as the flames started to come up, they came all around Polycarp, but there was this uh, somewhat of an arch that kind of came up and over Polycarp, where the flames themselves stayed outside that arch, and they went over the arch completely. The flames were so hot, but they didn't touch Polycarp. Well, the authorities are so furious because they see that something fishy is going on here, and maybe they think it's magic, or maybe they think it's something else, but they order the executioner to take his sword and to kill Polycarp in that way. And so the executioner kills Polycarp with a sword. I think of another church, early church leader, church father, by the name of Justin Martyr. Justin Martyr um, was arrested for uh, his faith, and along with him, the vast majority of his congregation was arrested for their faith. They are being led to where they are going to be executed. They can see it coming. And I love what Justin Martyr says. He tells his people, he says, remember, brothers and sisters, they can kill us, but they cannot hurt us. Now, that's faith from two great men. That's examples of faith. That's the kind of faith that took them not to great victory here on earth. They had great victory in heaven. In fact, if we look at it here on earth, we think they, they went to great devastation. Not great victory, not great triumph. Folks, that's the kind of faith that was characteristic of these Old Testament saints that the author of Hebrews is writing about. As we read that list, that's, that's who he's talking about. That's the kind of faith that we're talking about there. 
In fact, for their devotion to God, the author there says that the world was not worthy of them. Then I want to show you one more thing from Hebrews 11 here, okay? Look at verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Okay, now, what was it that was promised in the Old Testament that these saints would have been looking for? The Messiah. They're looking for Jesus. They didn't get to see him. Right? They never got to see him with their eyes, the Messiah being there. But what about us? Right? He's been here already. He's already come. We know that he has. We are a part of the plan that God has put together that includes us having a relationship with God through Jesus. Here's what the author's getting at. Okay, hold on to this. If these Old Testament followers of God had the kind of faith that they did without ever having seen the promise of the Savior fulfilled, how much more faith should we have because we have seen the coming of the Savior? We do know that he's been here. They believed and they had faith even though Jesus, the promised one, had not yet come. We have seen Jesus. We know that he has come. How much more faith should we have in God because of that simple fact? And we've been talking about the fact that Jesus is better, right? All throughout Hebrews, that's what we see. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is better than, and the list goes on and on. Jesus is better. But this puts in a completely different perspective that Jesus is better. Because this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where we live as if Jesus is better. It's through our faith. There's a song entitled, Give Me Jesus. And you know these words. It's really simple, really simple. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. All that we would get to the point where we realize that the city of earth has nothing to offer us except for momentary pleasure and that it is in the pursuit of the city of heaven that we find everything that our hearts so desperately long for. Folks, it's in the city of heaven that we find peace. It's in the city of heaven that we find joy and love. It's in the city of heaven that we find Jesus. He's everything that our hearts long for. He's our all in all. He is our savior. He is our sustainer. He's a redeemer of our souls. Folks, who or in what is your faith today? Is it in Jesus? If it is, if it is, then trust God to do the things in and through you that will blow your mind. And you may have overwhelmingly triumphant faith, like we've seen some in the past. You may also have devastating faith, like we've also seen. But know that in all of it, God is faithful, and you can put your faith and trust in him, because he will never, ever let you down. These people in Hebrews 11... Which city were they pursuing? City of earth or city of heaven? City of heaven. Hey, let's follow their example. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for what we find here. Father, help us to follow the example of people who had strong, true faith understanding that sometimes that faith is going to be overwhelmingly triumphant, but then other times it is going to be devastating in earthly terms. But Father, in all of it, no matter what happens in life, we keep our eyes on the city of heaven because we are citizens of that city. We're only traveling here. We are strangers and exiles, as Hebrews 11 tells us. Father, we love you, but we only love you because you first loved us. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name I pray, amen. Hey, would you stand and sing with us? Let's sing it together, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, all I have is
may we all get to the point where we say, hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah. Jesus is my life. We're going to enter into a time now where we um, have the opportunity to remember the Lord's death. We're going to remember the death that he died for us um, on Calvary over 2,000 years ago and the spilling of his blood and the giving of his body. This is a time for uh, believers, for followers of Jesus to come together and reflect on our Savior, to put our focus on our Savior. If you are not a believer here this morning, so you've never entered into that relationship with Jesus, I want to tell you that you are welcome here. But we do want to uh, let you know that this is for believers only. Um, If you have uh, been baptized, so you've publicly identified yourself as a believer, we want to invite you to the Lord's table. There's a couple of things I want to tell you. One, this is a time for you to reflect on your relationship with Jesus. How are you doing in that? Have you repented of any sin that is in your life? If you haven't, this is a great time for you to do so. In fact, uh, we're encouraged in the Bible to not come to the Lord's table if there's any kind of sin in us. Also, this is a time in which um, we come together as a local body of believers to this place. And um, we come uh, linking arms with our fellow believers. We come uh, in anticipation of God working in us and through us in the future. And uh, I want to encourage you that if you are at odds with any other believer here in this room, you really got a couple of options here. Would you go to them and, and settle that right now? But then also, um, if, if you can't do that in this moment, um, do it later. But I want to ask that you abstain from this because this is something for God's people to do together. This is a great time. We're going to sing, uh, uh, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery together. As we're singing this song, I want to encourage you, you can, you can sit down if you would like and spend some time in prayer. You can stand and sing these words. You can respond in any way that you would like. You can come up here and spend time in prayer if you would like. But let's sing this song together and then we'll enter in around the Lord's table. Come behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom
Betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus' body you sent for us, that he gave up willingly for us. God, the life that he lived, the perfect life that you demanded of us that we could not supply, he gave for us willingly. God, we thank you for that. Would you help us? in this time, to remember that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
In John chapter 6 and verse 58, Jesus is speaking of his body. And he says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. It's not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. May we eat together. Sing again, oh how he loves you and me. Oh how he loves you and me. Oh how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more could he give? Oh how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me, oh, how he loves you and me. Jesus to Calvary did go, his love for mankind to show. me, oh, how he loves you and me. As we continue reading in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25 says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross. Thank you for how the blood that was shed provided the new covenant to be fulfilled. Where you would take hearts of stone and make them into hearts of flesh. That you would redeem people to yourself. And Father, now we come in this room and we celebrate as a redeemed people. And we remember the sacrifice it took to make us redeemed. We thank you for your son Jesus in his beautiful name. Amen.
We've been studying in Hebrews. Uh, we spent some time in chapter 9 talking about the blood of Jesus. You remember that Hebrews 9.22 reminds us that under, uh, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sins. Jesus, um, uh, of Jesus, John writes, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We drink together. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Folks, we've been talking about the city of heaven and the city of earth. We are heading as believers to the city of heaven. That is what we keep our eyes on because we know that one day Jesus is going to return. Until he does, we continue proclaiming the Lord's death because it is in Jesus that we find life. And it is in Jesus that we find the hope that we so desperately need. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a chorus together and then you will be dismissed. You are the glorious Christ. You are the glorious Christ. Greatest of all delights, your power is unequal, your love beyond all heights, no greater sacrifice when you lay You are sent.